Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, chapter 11. The Lord willing, the Lord enabling, will be looking at verse 1 through to verse 6. Now, thus far in our study of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has made several references to the Jewish nation, a nation of people we know as Israel or Judah, or the Jews, as they're frequently called. And we saw how that these people had many advantages over the Gentiles. They had the word of God. They had the calling out of Abraham, of whom they descended. They had the giving of the law of God through Moses. Indeed, they had the very testimony of God, called in Romans chapter 3, verse 2, the oracles of God. And these people had many prophets sent unto them, most of which they killed and would not hear, but all the prophets that God sent unto these people all pointed them to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Remember what our Lord declared to them in Matthew chapter 23? O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And these people, the Jewish people, they had the Levitical priesthood, they had the tabernacle, they had the temple, they had all those feast days, the Passover, the Day of Atonement, all these, these things and many more privileges. But instead of using these means that God had given them to point them to Christ, to testify of Christ, instead of worshiping God, they worshiped the means he gave them instead. You see, rather than worship the God who gave them the law, they worshiped the law of God instead of God himself. And further, rather than rest in the promise of God, they rested not and sought salvation by doing the law rather than resting upon all the promises of God, which in Christ Jesus the Lord are yes and in him Amen, under the glory of God forever. And we saw how that the Apostle Paul prayed for these people earnestly. <clears throat> Look with me in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. There the Apostle writes, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. You see, he prayed for these people earnestly because they were lost. And though they were very religious, they didn't know the true and living God. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul writes there, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes the gospel of God's well-pleasing Son. And so Paul prayed for these people, and he was concerned for them. He writes in Romans chapter 11, verse 1, 
I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Beloved, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Now when the Christ, the Messiah, came among the Jewish nation, proclaiming that salvation is of the Lord, remember remember how the majority of them rejected him? Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ came unto his own, but his own received him not. And then when Pilate brought him forth in the hall of judgment and said to those Jewish people, Behold your king, remember their answer? Away with him, crucify him, we have no king but Caesar. Now in this 11th chapter of Romans, once again, Paul brings up this matter of the Jewish people and the salvation they so desperately needed. Now if you'll just go back just one verse prior to Romans 11.1 1 there and look at how Paul concludes Romans 10. This is verse 21. And he quotes this from, uh, and it's a, it's a reference to Isaiah chapter 65. The Lord saith to Israel, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. And then the apostle continues in Romans 11 verse 1. I say then, Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Indeed, God shall not cast away his elect people, which he has everlastingly known. And so here's the question Paul's asking. Has God cast away every person that is a Jew? Has God cast away every natural-born son of Abraham in this day? Has God cast away everyone that is of the nation of Israel and called all of them a rejected people? And Paul answers that question with an emphatic, God forbid. Paul reminds us that he too was a Christ-hating Jew. Remember how he went about with all zeal, persecuting the church and killing those that called upon the name of the Lord? Indeed, he did everything he could to stamp out the name of Christ. For he too was a Christ-hating Jew, who now, by the Lord's grace, was made to love the Lord and to preach his gospel. My friend, that's the miracle of God's grace. And he tells us here in verse 2, indeed, this is Paul's own testimony, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, we looked at this before, so you don't need to turn there with me. Most of you are familiar with this, but so that we may refresh our memory, I'll read this to you. Now, this is Paul's testimony, and it's recorded for us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. The apostle writes there, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You see, after the Lord caught him and revealed the gospel not merely to him, 
but ever so blessedly in him, he says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He says, I was of the seed of Abraham, and I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Jew who at one time hated the gospel of Christ. But now look what Paul writes in Romans 11, verse 2. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Now the people he's talking about is spiritual Israel, those who are Israelites indeed. Do you not know what the scripture saith of Elijah? How that he how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. You see, God hath not cast away his elect among the Jews or among the Gentiles. For God has an elect redeemed people by the blood of Christ out of every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue under heaven, which he has chosen in that eternal covenant of grace, a people that he has foreknown and loved with an everlasting love and predestinated to be just like his beloved, well-pleasing son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminds us of this prime example of Elijah, how that in his day the Lord brought down fire and consumed the sacrifice, showing that he is God and that Baal is no God. Remember from 1 Kings 18 and 19, when Elijah on Mount Carmel faced down those 450 prophets of Baal? And he said, let the God who answers by fire, let him be God. Remember how fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, the dust, the stones, and licked up the water, all declaring that the living God, the God of Elijah, is God. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. And then Elijah, in zeal and glory, killed all the false prophets. Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook, Kishon, and slew them there. But it says here he made intercession against Israel. You see, after Elijah had this great victory, Ahab, the king of Israel, and his wife Jezebel, put out a contract to kill Elijah. Remember what he did? He ran off and hid in a cave. And then he complained to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm the only one left. I'm the only believer left. And then the Lord said, you get out of that cave. I have something else for you to do. And he made intercession against Israel for all their constant rebellion and idolatry against God. We find him running from Ahab and Jezebel. We find him hiding in a cave and asking the Lord to take him to glory because he's the only believer left. Now here's the exact quote from 1 Kings chapter 19. You can turn there if you like. 1 Kings chapter 19. 
and I'll begin reading there in verse 10. God's word declares there in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. And this is Elijah speaking. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my, my life to take it away. And the Lord said in 1 Kings 19, verse 18, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, a group of people Elijah knew nothing about. But the Lord has always known his people. And he says, I have left me 7,000, a perfect number God has chosen. Indeed, God has chosen his people in perfection. All the knees of which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed Baal. Now, just as Elijah was wrong in his day, and this is the point that Paul is making, just as Elijah was wrong in his day, Paul reminds us not to be shallow or short-sighted in our thinking about the Lord and His church in our day. Beloved, the Lord will never leave His people without a gospel witness, nor will He leave Himself without His people upon this earth that He has chosen from eternity and justified in Christ. Remember, beloved, we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord has an elect where he has placed them for his eternal purpose to serve his cause and his truth. And one day, beloved, according to his calendar, not ours, he will send the gospel to wherever these people are. For he has always foreknown them and everlastingly loved them. And he will cross their paths with the gospel and he will call them out. Now, you've heard me use this analogy before. You know, some people complain about the gospel. And they, you know, the carnal man, the natural man says it's not fair. And he'll say, what about somebody in the middle of nowhere, in, in the middle of the ocean, living on some remote island? What about them? <laughs> well, if God has one of his elect people there, I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to, what's that uh, quote, quote we have uh, come to take great comfort in in Romans eight twenty eight, We know that all things work together for good for them who love God, the called according to his purpose. He's going to over, he's going to sovereignly overrule all the circumstances so that his elect child is going to hear the gospel. He's either going to cause that elect man or woman to come away from that island, you know, uh, be air, airlifted away from that island, <laughs> Or he's going to get cancer and have to be flown to get an operation. Or he's going to win the lottery. The Lord's going to sovereignly use all things. I like what our brother recently said. God is so sovereign and so powerful, he'll move the actual island <laughs> to where he's going to hear the gospel. He'll move heaven and earth to save his elect beloved. And we know this. We see this all the time in the testimony of God's people today. He uses some of the most unlikely things you can think of. A civil war in a country. <laughs> uh, a zeal, but not according to knowledge. <laughs> and he overrules all things so that his people shall hear the gospel. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit preserving this testimony for us throughout the scriptures. 
I think about that portion in Acts chapter 8 where we see Philip, just like John the Baptist, a man sent of God, and the angel of the Lord said, join yourself to that chariot. And we see God sends his man with his message, and he uses his means, preaching Christ and him crucified. Now look at verse 5, 11, uh, Romans 11, verse 5. The apostle writes there, Even so then at this present time, just as it was true in Elijah's day, so it is also true at this present time, how that there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What a blessed statement. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. You see, beloved, God has elected a people from eternity. And he has elected a people in this world called here a remnant according to the election of grace. And we call that unconditional election. Remember the letter U in TULIP? That stands for unconditional election. That is, all the conditions of our election are in God's eternal purpose. And so they're unconditional towards us. Now, though many people want to deny this blessed truth of election, but not believers. No, no. Rather, believers believe that God elected his people. And why do we believe that? I mean, why, why do we believe that? Very simply this. Because that's what God's book teaches. But we know, had not the Lord chosen, chosen, us, chosen us in that eternal covenant of grace, we never would have believed the gospel. In fact, we would never have heard the gospel, or indeed, the gospel would have never crossed our path. You see, we only believe the gospel according to the working of his mighty power. And there is a remnant that God has chosen from all eternity. And he chose them according to the election of his will, the election of his purpose, the election of his grace. Now, God chose us. We didn't choose him. Remember John chapter 15? I want to show you this. Turn with me to John's gospel. Chapter 15. And then look there with me in verse 16. These are the words of our Lord and God. He's speaking to those disciples. And he says to them, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit unto eternal life. And then, when did God choose us? When did the Lord God choose us, beloved? Beloved, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Who did the choosing? <laughs> God did the choosing. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. And, beloved, he chose us in Christ. Now, Paul writes in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, which leads you to belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel 
to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he has chosen us to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, that's what predestination is all about. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, God's word sets forth there. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice how that's all stated in the past tense. And so how do we know anything about our election? Well, the answer is by hearing the gospel and believing the gospel. How do we know anything about God's electing love? God's electing predestinated grace? I mean, how may we know our election? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1, and then look there in verse 4. It, it, we read there in God's only holy book, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And Peter said, Make your calling and election sure. Well, how do we know anything about it? Well, because, verse 5, Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now, I want you to find a, another reference on this. Turn back to the book of Acts. Now, this is when Paul was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 13. And he preached to those people the forgiveness of sin for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there in verse 39, Luke records... Paul's words. By him, by the Lord Jesus Christ, all that believe him are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now look at verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. In verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed the gospel. And so how do we know anything about our election, our calling? Well, with our calling comes faith, the gift of God. And when God gives us eternal life, he quickens us in the new birth. And the fruit of that is faith in Christ. Again, look back at Romans chapter 11, verse 6. 
And if election and salvation is by grace, the unmerited sovereign favor of God, if salvation is by grace alone, faith alone in Christ, then God's electing, saving grace is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You see, it's either one or the other. Salvation is either totally and completely by the sovereign purpose and grace of God, completely, or it's by your works, you know, your morality or the deeds of the flesh or the law. It's either one or the other. And my friend, God's book teaches that salvation is of the Lord, how that it is all of grace through Christ alone. The right conclusion is that it's not of works, otherwise grace is not grace at all. You see, if any salvation, you see, if salvation is by any measure, if salvation is by any measure, in any way, to any degree, by the works of the flesh and the deeds of the law, then the grace of God has nothing to do with our salvation. But we've seen all the way through our study of the book of Romans that our salvation is by the grace of of God. Now, the book of Romans deals specifically with this theme, how that God justifies the ungodly. And so how does God justify the ungodly? How does he redeem them and make them righteous before him in love? Is it in any way dependent upon man's efforts, man's works, deeds of morality? Well, that can't be. Look what it says in Romans chapter 4. Verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh it is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You see, this is salvation by the grace of God alone. Now, what a lot of people try to do is make a mixture. They say, well, God has, all, has done all he can for you, and that's grace, but the rest is up to you. My friend, that's works. Now, is that going to work? I mean, think about it. The greatest thing that the Lord has accomplished is the salvation of his people. Now, would he make such a great, glorious work depend upon the frail, sinful, fallen, fickle will of the creature? Well, that would make salvation by the will of man and not salvation by the will of God. You see how important this is? And there's many scriptures that we could read to further validate this point, but it doesn't really need to be further validated. The Lord says in the Word, and if he's pleased to do so, he will bless his own word, to your heart and to mine. Beloved, by grace are you saved. 
through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Sadly, that's why many, well, not many, that's why all fallen, sinful men enjoy talking about salvation that depends upon themselves, that faith that is of themselves. You know why? Because they want to boast what they've done for God. So it's not of works. I, that's a fearful group to be a part to be a part of. I, I don't want to be a part of that group, do you? Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Now this, this verse is not in my notes, but I think it illustrates very well how it is that there is a multitude of people in our day, as it's always been, that rather than boast in the Lord, they boast in themselves. Rather than singing the song of the redeemed, singing a new song, singing, you are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For by, that, by, that, well, by your blood we have been redeemed out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. That's the song of the redeemed. Thou art worthy. But if you listen here in Matthew 7, beginning, beginning reading there in verse 21, our Lord sets forth this very solemn word of that day. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now what is the will of the Father that he's referring to? You can keep your place in Matthew 7. I'll read this to you. I'm reading this portion to you from John's Gospel. Remember when the multitude followed that our Lord and they had filled their bellies with the bread and the fish and they sought to where he was they labored to get to the other side of the sea where he was again and he said to them and this is uh, John 6 verse 25 when they had found him on the other side of the sea they said unto him Rabbi when camest thou hither Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And so our Lord is speaking here, saying, Only those that do the will of my Father will enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is the will of the Father? Believing on the one he sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the voice from heaven? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Our Lord says on that day, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not preached in thy name? Have we not handed out gospel tracts and gone door to door? Talked to people at the office about you? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I never loved you. 
I didn't drop so much as one drop of blood for you. Ye that work in iniquity, depart from me. It's all of grace, beloved. <laughs> it's all of grace. God's people will be in glory and they won't be pounding on their own chest saying, I'm worthy, I did this, I did that. They won't be, they won't be saying that in glory. We'll be singing that new song, beloved. Singing that new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Remember when Paul is in prison writing back to Timothy, reminding him not to be ashamed of the gospel. And then he said this, and I want to, I want you to see this. This is in second Timothy. This is a portion many of you are familiar with. It's, uh, it's never a grievous thing to reread these blessed verses, is it beloved? Second Timothy chapter one. And he writes there, verse 9, saying how it's God who hath saved us and called us. Notice he saved us, and then he called us in time. When did he save us? Well, in that eternal covenant of grace, he saved us, and then he called us in time. With a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, did you have anything to do with that? <laughs> if it was given to you in Christ before the foundation of the world, that is unmerited sovereign favor of God. And then Titus chapter 3, verse 4. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. The kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Listen to this helpful statement from a faithful minister of the gospel, reflecting upon our portion tonight in Romans 11 verse 6. He writes the following, quote, Salvation is by the pure, unmerited grace and mercy of God. The works, efforts, and deeds of men are not involved. If salvation comes to us because of our works, however small, then it is not of grace. If you can find any reason why God should save you other than that by his grace in Christ, he was pleased to show mercy then you are advocating salvation by works. End quote. Beloved, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. Amen.